You know, I have been going at this gig on earth called life for 42 years, 43 by the end of this month. And I have to think that there's some things that I have missed, a lot of things that I've missed along the way. Some I'm slow at. I'm slow at a lot of things in life. I'm not, I've never been in the front of the class. Um, even the class on life, sometimes I feel like I'm behind a remedial student, kind of. But there's one of the things I definitely know I'm, I'm slow on and, and catching up on, and that is something along the lines of what's going on inside of us. It's a battle that's going on, that's raging, a fighting that's going on, that's wanting our emotions, that's fighting for our that's fighting for our eternal destiny. But even when our eternal destiny is given into the hands of Christ and Christ says, I put you in my hands and nobody will pluck you out of my hands, that means even ourselves, so we're safely secured in Him. But the battle doesn't stop. There is still a daily battle of our mind, of our attitudes, of our emotions, of our actions, of our reactions, of our thought life. There's so many battles that are going on. And as we talk about this good life, as we wrap up this series next week, and we think about the good life and what the good life looks like. And Guys, come to chapter 6 of Ephesians and be finding that, if you will. You come to chapter 6 of Ephesians and you find that the good life isn't some dancing in the fields with daisies. Alright? It is an absolute all-out war that we will be facing. It is an absolute battle for the soul, battle for the mind, battle for the heart, battle for your life. That this, this good life doesn't come without bloodshed. This good life doesn't come without pain. This good life doesn't come without discipline and focus in our own lives. This good life is a daily battle that we go through. And if we are not waking up into the daily battle, it's because we have been sucked into the mainstream. And we're just going along with everyone else. Great pastor of Bellevue Baptist Church in Memphis, R.G. Lee, said it like this. One of my favorite all-time quotes is, if you wake up in the morning and you don't meet the devil face to face, it just means you're walking in the same direction. Now that's one of those that just kind of should stir you a little bit. If you wake up comfortable, fat, and sassy, then you're probably not exactly in the battle. But if you're waking up and you're feeling the tension and the pull and the push and the, and the battle of the soul and the spirit and the emotions and the thought life, and you're not wrestling with temptation, it probably means you're just walking in step with that temptation. It's no longer a temptation. It's now become a part of a, your life. It's a character. It's a habit. It's a, it's a part of you. And the tension is there. And the push and the pull and the ups and the downs and the difficulties are there. Here's a life principle for us that there is a direct correlation between my alertness and awareness to spiritual warfare and my faithfulness and fervency in prayer. There is a direct correlation. And I'm starting today at the end of Ephesians, actually where we should end next week, but I'm going to start at the end and work our way to the beginning. And, and next week we'll come back and talk more about how the battle operates and how Satan works in the, in the schemes of the devil and the, the warfare that we go into day in and day in and how we can put up the defenses and take, on the, take up the sword and we can march ahead and all that kind of stuff. We'll talk about that next week. But I felt this tremendous urgency to go to the end and start at the end and to work my way back. 
Because what I would like to call us to this next seven days is a week-long fervency of prayer. That we would prepare our hearts that there would be an alertness and awareness about what's going on around us. That we would examine our lives and see if I am walking in step with the devil in my own ways and attitudes and actions and thoughts and so forth, that I would really take, take note of myself and that through a seven-day focus of prayer in our own individual lives, if we would do that just seriously, then maybe there would be an increased awareness and alertness and therefore, hopefully, at the backside of that, there would be greater faithfulness and fervency in our prayer. Just a thought. We'll try it. We'll angle it that way because we need to understand some things about prayer. And I'm still learning it in my life, but it's not a formula. It's not, okay, this is how you pray. This is how you must pray. This is your formula for prayer. It's not a program. We don't need to have a program on prayer. You don't need to necessarily have a program on how to pray. It is not that. It is not a last-ditch effort. All right? When all else fails, break out prayer. Now, that's, not, that's not what it is. It's not a last-ditch effort. I've tried all the drugs. I've tried all the psychology. I've tried all my friends' counsel. I've, 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 I've done it all. I've even consulted the horoscopes. All right? I've, I've tried it all. Mm-mm. And now I'll go to God. It's not that at all. It's not a last-ditch effort. It's not a formula. It's not a program. It's not even a luxury. It's not even something that you just kind of pull when it's convenient or whenever you're trying to up your level of living or whenever you feel like you got passed over on the job and and that you really needed that raise and, and you're just trying to increase the luxuries of life. And so therefore you turn to God or you'd really like to get that car so you're going to pray before you go to the dealership that God, if they can finance it, I will be a, I'll believe this is your will. I have never met a car dealer who cannot finance a car, all right? Now, you may have to pay for the next umpteen years, but but they will find a way to get you in that car, all right? So you can't just lump it together as some luxury building uh, avenue that we have in life. It is a lifestyle. Prayer is a part of you. It is a part of your personality. It's a part of your thought life. It's a part of your, it's a, it's a part of your emotional responses. Prayer is just there, okay? It is you. It is defining you. That is what prayer should be. In fact, Paul told the church at Thessalonica, you need to pray without ceasing. Now imagine that. Pray without ceasing, never stopping, always praying. How do you do that? Unless it's a lifestyle. It's got to be a lifestyle. If you're going to pray without ceasing. That's in Thessalonica. That's on the Aegean Sea. That's way north. He even told the, the, the church in Colossian Inland Church. The church in Colossian. He says, devote yourself to prayer. He, he told, he told uh, the church of Ephesus, what we'll be looking at today in Ephesians chapter 6. He told them, he said, I want you to pray always at all times. Keep praying. It needs to be a part of you. It wasn't just something Paul told this one church in this one particular location. He told the Thessalonica church across the Aegean Sea. He told the port city of Ephesus that. He told the inland city of Colossia that. You would think that if it was some particular circumstance that you're just supposed to pray all the time in these situations, then everything else is okay. No, he wants all believers across all lands 
across all seas, across all circumstances, across all of life. Find some how in their life. Find, find some means in their life to, to wrestle with the idea of being a lifestyle prayer warrior. Prayer isn't a toy you tinker with. It's when you are connecting with the Most High God, getting in on the Most High God's will, plan, desires for your and my life. John Piper in his book, Let the Nations Be Glad, made a marvelous statement about prayer. Prayer is primarily a wartime walkie-talkie for the mission of the church as it advances against the powers of darkness and unbelief. It is not surprising that prayer malfunctions when we make it into a domestic intercom to call upstairs for more comforts in the den. We have abused prayer at that point. We need to understand the power and the, and the, the, the intentions behind prayer. I want us this next week to commit to realize that we are in a battle, that my thought life, my marriage is intention, and it may be spiritual warfare. My job may be on the line, and it may be spiritual warfare. My thought life may be all messed up, and it may be spiritual warfare. My attitude may stink, and it may be spiritual warfare. The tensions that I'm on, and it may be spiritual warfare. And how do I make it and navigate it and go through these tensious moments of, of life unless there is an answer? And that answer somehow ties in together with prayer and being able to make it in the battlefield. So I want us today to look at Ephesians 6, to look at Ephesians 6 verse 18 and following. And I want us just to reflect for a moment on this passage. I want to read it carefully to you. I want you to prayerfully hear it. I want you to examine your life as I read this passage. Verse 18, Ephesians 6. Praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication, to the end, keep alert. With all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me to in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare in bodily, it bodily as I ought to speak. As you think about this passage and you think about this, I, I want us to just kind of draw out three reflections that I have that I have been examining my own life with this, this week. Of what does it mean to have this lifestyle of prayer? Jot this down. Number one is, is it means to, to have prayer as a, as a spirit walking with spirit. There's a spirit walking with spirit. If you look at that verse, he, he tells us there, he says, praying at all times. How? In the spirit. There's this spiritual, mystical element that comes into prayer. It's not something rote. It's not something that we can manufacture on our own. It is something that it happens inside of us whenever we are committed. And there will be times in our life when we will be so consumed with life. Listen. So consumed with pressure. So consumed with loss. So consumed with grieving. So consumed that I won't even be able to pray. So hurt, so broken, 
I won't be able to utter a word. And I'll think, God, you have left me alone. God, I am here to survive it, maybe. What do you do in those moments when you have developed a lifestyle of prayer? You can all of a sudden enter into prayer and all of a sudden your spirit's connected with his spirit because your spirit's been walking with his spirit and now he begins to pray for you. Don't believe me? Look at Romans chapter 8, verse 26. Romans 8, 26 says it like this, In the same way the spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groans of words that cannot express. We need to realize that prayer is a spiritual journey. It is a Spirit connecting with His Spirit and His Spirit with our Spirit. And somebody has said this, the devil fears a soul united with God as if he it does God Himself. God, Satan fears a person whose spirit is united with God's spirit as if it was God Himself. How is that? Because there is, a, there is a fellowship, there is a connection, there is a relationship there that is so deep and wonderful that there's a like-mindedness about them. I'm afraid that sometimes we we end up in different kinds of prayers. There's one of those kinds of prayers that I want you to just think about, and that's that head-to-head prayer. That head-to-head prayer is this vain, repetitious prayer. It's that prayer that we pray, and it's just a prayer that we always pray, and God help the missionaries, and, 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 and God bless this offering, and, and God bless this food, and, and, and the hands that have prepared it. And we have this kind of rote prayer, or now I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to keep, and if I die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. And we have this Lord's Prayer that even becomes this rote head-to-head prayer. We're just talking. Jesus warns about that kind of prayer. He says, don't pray like that. You just heap up empty phrases like the Gentiles do. Don't do that. That's just head prayer. That's just empty prayer. It doesn't need to be like that. That's not, that's a formula kind of prayer. He's not encouraging formula kind of prayer. All right? Also, there's hand to ear prayer that we need to be aware of. And that's that selfish desires. God, I want this. God, this would be good for me. God, would you give this to me? And, and sometimes we miss it because it's, well, the Bible tells us to ask, and so I'm going to ask. And okay, ask. If you don't get it, don't get mad at God. Because it may be our own selfish desires that are trumping God in all of this. It says, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions for yourself. Now, is it wrong to ask for things for yourself? Not at all. In accordance with God? Well, how do you know if it's in accordance with God? You know it whenever you're walking in His Spirit. Or if you don't know it, you surrender to His Spirit. And that's why I want to say the third kind of prayer that we really need to kind of capture, we really need to drill down on, and that's spirit-to-spirit prayer. It's when our surrendered communion with God is happening and there is this relationship that happens between our spirit and God's spirit that we become united. And again, the head-to-head, the hand-to-ear, man, we could pray that all day long. And I have to say that most 
or many of my prayers have been much of my life, head to head, I just say something wrote, something I've always said, something that sounds right, something that the other person will think is good. Or I say, God, I want this. Or God, I want that. And I do this. It's not about that. It's about my spirit connecting with His spirit. And this is where it becomes mystical. This is where it becomes a relationship. Listen, you're not going to get it in a 35-minute message. You're going to get it when you leave here. And you start walking alone in a private place in your heart, in a private place in your life. Jesus talked about going into a prayer closet and praying. You're going to come to a silence and you're going to start connecting with God when you open the Scriptures. And you're going to start beginning His Spirit connecting with your spirit. If it's just driving down the road and when the blue lights come on behind you, you start fasting and praying, that's not going to cut it. It is whenever your spirit is with His Spirit. Delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. Isn't that beautiful? How many of us have quoted that? God, I want this. Delight yourself in the Lord and He'll give you the desires of your heart. God, you'll give us the desires of our heart. I want that. What's the desires of my heart? Oh, no, don't forget the first part. Delight yourself in the Lord. When first of all, your desires, well, no, His desires become your desires, then all of a sudden, whenever you are praying, you're actually praying His desires and He's hearing it, and now He's giving it. But whenever we start with our own selfish, hedonistic, materialistic motives, which is what most of Christianity in America looks and smells like, we're missing it. We miss it. And I want to encourage us to move beyond that level of Christian faith. And this will not happen like that. This will not happen in a big room like this and you hearing me talk. This will happen when you get alone and your spirit connects with God's spirit. How's the connection? What's that look like? There's an old church, ancient church fathers that used to practice a thing called the daily office. The monks would, the, the, historically the monks would go aside and, and to pray seven times in a day. They would rise at 3.45, as early as 3.45 in the morning, and begin their day of prayer. They would start at sunrise and pray some more, or they would continue at sunrise and pray some more. They would go about their day and pray about 9 or 10 in the morning. They would pray about noon. They would, they would have all these different times that they would pray. You say, well, that works great for a monk. I'm not a monk. But I think what they were attempting to do with their lifestyle is they were attempting to weave into into their life this attitude of praying without ceasing, of being in a constant... And listen, you don't have to have some great big fanfare. You don't have to go to a prayer closet. You don't have to do anything. It's just a matter of your heart and your life becoming that. So here is what I want us to think about. It's not being a monk, but being a David. Because I don't know if you realize this, you might jot this verse down and read it when you get home, but Psalm 119, 164 talks about how David prayed seven times a day. Seven times. Daniel prayed three times a day. You can jot that down and read in Daniel chapter 6, verse 10. I want you to know something about two of the greatest giants of the Old Testament. That some of the greatest ancient church fathers of the church. There was something about their life that was a continual 
constant, regular conversation, spirit to spirit with God. What does that look and what's that going to take for you? What's that going to take for me? Here's my seven-day challenge for you. I want you to think about taking... I want you to think about taking and observing a daily office of prayer, meditation, Scripture reading throughout the day. Alright? Now what does that look like? For me, it's going to look like this. I'm going to start my day and end my day a little bit differently than, I, than I've been doing. Now I start my, most of my days, 90% of my days, I start in the Word, I start in prayer, I start in Scripture memory, I start there. Now for some of you, that may be the furthest thing from what you, how you start your day. Start there. If it's just one daily office meeting with God, then start there. But if you're doing that, then add some more. Maybe start and end your day. Maybe it doesn't take long. Just pull aside for five or ten minutes. And maybe end your day by reading just one chapter of the Psalms. I'll promise you this. If you'll take the next seven days and you'll begin your day by just reading maybe a chapter of the Gospel of John or Proverbs, go over and before you lay your head down at night, before you turn off the light, turn off the television, you read one chapter of the Psalms and you just ask God to bless your night. You will wake up more refreshed than had you watched David Letterman. I'll promise you that. One thing I'm going to add to my schedule, I'm literally going to calendar it in, is I'm going to calendar in 10 to 15 minutes throughout my week where I step aside, I walk outside, I breathe in the air, and I just spend some time in prayer. And what I'm trying to do is build into my life more and more time of of me praying, pulling aside. Listen, just for 5 or 10 minutes, you waste that much time looking at Facebook, all right? So find that time, carve out that time, make that time happen in your life. The second reflection that I see on prayer here is that it's not just walking spirit to spirit, but prayer is me walking with you. So whenever I learn the value and the power of walking with you, notice what he said in the last part of verse 18. He said, alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Making supplication for for all the saints. Now, whenever you live in this American culture and you only have seconds for prayer in a day, it's really hard to carve into the prayer time for other people because after all, I have so many things that I want to pray in my seconds of prayer that I hardly have time to pray for you. I'm sorry. Unless we ramp up and add to our prayer time. 60 seconds isn't going to cut it. But we need to realize that there's more than just taking our request to God. My spirit with His spirit uniting and my spirit becoming one with His spirit. But it is actually me, Mike up here, walking with you there. And you walking with you and you walking with you and you walking with them. And whenever we can learn to pray for one another, we will actually enter into a whole new dimension of prayer for some of us. Where we actually step in the gap. We actually intercede. We bring supplications for all the saints. We start praying for others within our family, within our networks. Samuel, the great prophet, believed that he was sinning if he did not pray for others. Far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you. We need to pray. Listen, I'll tell you right now, the well-being of this church of me as your pastor, is dependent in large part on how well you pray for me. And you know, the well-being of your spouse 
is largely in part on how well you're praying for them. The well-being of your job may be largely determined by how much you pray for your supervisor. Think about it. How much time do we spend criticizing when we should be critiquing our prayer life? Even the Bible mentions in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 to 12, it says, I urge you that supplications, prayers, intercessions, thanksgiving be made for all people. We'll come back and talk about that in a moment. Verse 2, for the kings and all who will have high positions that we may lead peaceful, listen, we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Now, who wouldn't in this room love to live a peaceful life? Who in this room wouldn't want to love to have a godly nation? Who in this room wouldn't love to have a more dignified society? Do you see the correlation? It may be because we haven't been praying for our leader. When's the last time you prayed for President Obama? We're so quick to criticize when what we should do is critique our prayers. We need to critique how well and how often we are praying. Notice he also said not just for the president, but, but intercessions for all people. We have a, a system in place, if you will, that we want to get prayer requests out as fast as we can and as efficient as we can. We call it prayer net. We've had prayer nets since about the beginning of the church. It's just a simple email, just a simple email. It was pretty easy whenever you're 15, 20 families. But now when you're a whole lot more than that, how do you get these prayers out? Well, we've got several means. We Twitter them. We, we put them out. We have a prayer page on our, on, our, on, our, uh, on our website that you can go to, prayer net. And in fact, just go to connections uh, or to connect and then go down and just follow the links from that point and go to prayer net. You can even sign up and get daily reminders. You can go on there and you can click on there whether or not, you know, you prayed for someone. It's a cool way. And they get an email of the person who submitted that prayer request. They get an email that somebody just prayed for me. It's a pretty awesome tool that we have out there. But let me just say this. As I'm sitting here, this week has been a, has been a heavy week. Has been a, has been a prayerful week for me, not just because I'm here. In fact, I think largely because I'm here. That's why I had to skip past the other and come here. Is that we really don't need a church with a prayer director. We need prayer warriors. We, we don't even need a prayer room in the church dedicated to prayer. That's what, okay, we need a prayer room. If we had a prayer room, we had more. No, no, we need room in our life to pray. We don't even need a website. We don't need a website that will tell you the latest prayer. What we need is we need members. We need family members who are so concerned and consumed with the hurts and the pains and the aches of other family members that they can't stop but praying. They just have to pray for them. See, whenever we really enter into this life, this, we realize that we're not physical beings with a little spiritual over here, that we are spiritual beings just happening to be living in a physical world. We will enter into conversations with God and for others like never before. And I have to say this, and Lori and I have talked a lot about this in recent months, we feel like there are different times that the church goes through. And after 10 years of pastoring, I've seen the church go through many different good times where everything's peaceful and daisy fields out there, okay? We've had some rough times, some times of depression, some times of division. You see it all. 
All these, again, Satan just picking at how can he divide the church? How can he discourage people? But ever since little Johnny Tyson's funeral, and, and probably leading up to that, it's just been this constant, this constant drive at pain and suffering and sickness and cancer and terminals, death. It's just been constant. And not only directly in our family, as we've experienced this last, last week with the loss of, of Sarah Williams, but, but in our extended family, where our family's hurting because they have other families hurting. And so I wonder if we don't come together and if we don't lift each other up and if we don't pray for one another and if we aren't broken, then who's going to be? What we have to do is we have to surround and put our arms around each other and we have to be the ones because we are in a season right now of hurting. And so... Here's my seven-day challenge for you. I want you to find three people. Three people in our body, in our fellowship. He says, supplications for all the saints. So find three believers. Say, why are you limiting the believers? We'll get there in a moment, all right? Three believers that need prayer. Fervent, hot, faithful prayer. And I want you to pray for them like never before for the next seven days. And you don't even have to tell them you're praying for them. You can if you want to. You, you don't even have to follow up. Hey, did a miracle happen in your life this week? You don't have to go there if you don't want to. But just let's start making a difference. And, and listen, I'm a doer. But let's start making a difference by praying into people's lives. Let's, let's, let's let prayer become what it should be. Not just spirit walking with spirit, but me walking with you. The third element of reflection on prayer is that it is prayer is us walking with them. Us walking with them. The them are the outsiders of the faith. I don't want to draw some line of separation, but if you have never been born again, Jesus said, you will not experience eternal life. You will not see me forever in heaven. You will not be with me. I'm not drawing the line of distinction. Jesus did it, okay? But I think if we don't take time and we don't realize the value of us praying for them, then we will be so stuck on us and on me that we will forget them. But we need to build it into our life when we think of those who are outsiders, outside the faith, and we need to pray by all means and with all fervency, the same fervency that we would pray for our big toe or our our Aunt Lucy's liver, uh, whatever, that we would take time and we would pray for those that are outside the faith. When Lori and I announced to our prayer partners, we had 
raised up 300. We call them the God's 300 when we were living in Africa. And we announced to our prayer partners that we were coming back uh, to America and going to live in America and going to start a church in America and all that kind of stuff. And some of our prayer partners said, oh, great, listen, our church is without a pastor. Why don't you come be our pastor? And, and so I prayed through that and talked through that. And then some said, oh, I've got a church. I even got calls when we were in Africa. They said, hey, there's a church that I know of that needs a pastor. Why don't you come here and be this pastor? And I knew that church, and I wasn't going to pastor there, nor told my enemy to go pastor there. But anyway, you got all these different all these different things and opportunities out there. And it really came down to, it would have been a lot easier to go from a secure set salary to a secure set salary. Instead, God was calling us to a secure set salary to the unknown. And it was for one reason. Us versus them. So many churches are about us. About us. If we'll just keep everybody warm, happy, and fed, it's about us. If we'll just paint the church walls once every three years, it's about us. They'll spend more money on us. And I thought, no, the church that I really have on my heart is a them kind of church. And I want to be a them kind of pastor, and I want to have a a them kind of people, and and I want to see a them kind of church go to a them kind of people and reach a them kind. And so... That was why we started Grace Point 10 years ago. And as I think about all of that and I come to this and, and we and we are the church and some of you said, how big is Grace Point going to get if you're going to be about them all the time? And I literally had some person ask me that one one time. I said, well, you know, you're this big. You got two services and now you're adding a third service and you got this. How big are you going to get? And I said, we're going to get one more. We're just going to get one more. And when we get that one more, we're going to go get one more. I don't know their name. I don't know their address. I don't know their education. I don't know their income. I don't know anything about them out there. But we're going to go get them. And until the last them has been reached, then we're about that. And so last year, whenever I, I was actually looking through some past emails this, this, this week of Sarah that she had sent me and kind of reliving some of that. And one of the things that I asked her to do last spring uh, as our preschool director was to to we had to really kind of watch our preschools because they were so full. And so I had her keep numbers on how many classes we were closing. And between March and July of last year, we closed over 30 classrooms. That means we sent away family after family after family. When you send, It's amazing. When you send away a 3-year-old, you also send away their 16-year-old, the mother and the father and the rest of the family. And we had to just simply close it because we didn't have enough space. The annex wasn't good enough. We committed to adding two more annexes, and that has been great. But in the, in the time it took from, from, from that time that Sarah started keeping records to even, even talking to Jana in recent days, there has been over 60 families, think about that, that we've had to turn away at the counter. And those annexes out there, they're all temporary, guys. The city has said, you've got a timeline. They've got to be gone. So we're about to enter into... And you're going to hear more and more about this, but I think we just need to prepare our hearts to continue to be a them kind of church that we're going to make space and we're going to make sacrifices and we're going to build, yes, bigger, not so big that we become impersonal. As we grow bigger, we will grow smaller, but we will grow bigger. And I don't want to be an us kind of church. I want to continue to be a them kind of church. Well, how far will you go, Mike? It's interesting you ask. I'm glad you asked because when you're talking about thems, there's a lot of thems out there that are far, far removed from God. 
far, far not followers of Christ. And it was pretty cool whenever a long-term partnership started, started in a hot, dusty, unromantic, barren West African nation when a population of this people group was 3,787,000 with a different worldview and a different thinking process and a different belief system and all that kind of stuff. And four years ago, we were there. There's 1.13% of those are believers. Just that's it, of the 3,787,000 people. And I think about how we committed and be catalytic about starting a work among them. And we've, we've seen one church start, and it's, it's been beautiful and powerful and awesome. But our, our goal, our ultimate goal is to see when there's 2% of this 3.787 million people, when just 2%, that's not very many, is it? Just 2% become followers of Christ. And I would pray, and it's one of my big, hairy, audacious goals for the next 10 years of Grace Point Church. And I wasn't going to say it now, but I'm going to say it now because I want to start praying about it now. Is to see the, the Bombra people become followers of Jesus, 2% of them, in the next 10 years. And I want Grace Point Church to be a catalytic part of that process. You'll hear more about that in the future. Think, Mike, how does all this fit in? Notice what Paul was about. He wasn't about us, the church at Ephesus only. He was about them, those who hadn't yet heard. And so this is what his prayer was at the end. Verse 19, and I also ask you to pray for me. Don't just pray for all the saints, pray for me. That words may be given to me in the opening of my mouth, boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Literally, he was in jail for being a believer and sharing the gospel of Christ. That I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Well, Paul prays, listen, when you're praying for yourself, okay, keep praying in the Spirit, Spirit to Spirit. Hey, yeah, pray for all the saints. Give supplication for all the saints. But don't forget to pray for me as I go to them. As I go to the unknown. As I go to the unnamed as I go to the unbelievers, pray for them that they will hear and that they will believe. He had two requests. God would use him for them. He says, open my mouth boldly that I might declare boldly as I ought to speak. He also prayed that they would hear the message of Christ as he proclaimed as an ambassador in chains. You know, your seven-day challenge is this. Your seven-day challenge is to find a people group around the world. To find a group. Find somebody. Pray for them. Pray for them for seven days. Man, may seven days turn into seven weeks, and seven weeks, seven months, and seven months, seven years. I don't know. Just start with seven days and just start praying for them. Unknown, unnamed, unbelievers. You don't even know who they are, and you may never see their face this side of heaven. But start praying for them.